from God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Pastor. Well, it's so good to gather together. It's so good to, again to uh, uh, praise God and glorify God and again and hear from his word. And I've really enjoyed again the gospel of John. And I've called this sermon, as you can see again up at the uh, uh, board, uh, Last Words. You know, and when you look at the last words that individuals speak before they depart from this world, they're usually substantial. You know, it's not light talk. It's not, again, fancy. And if we really care care about that individual or we really um, have, again, really great regard for that person, we really see the weightiness. Uh, we remember those words, you know, such as the words of the Martin Luther when he was on his deathbed. His last words were, our God is a God who comes in salvation. God is a Lord whom we escape salvation. Augustus, uh, top lady who, who died at the age of 38, uh, wrote the hymn Rock of Ages. But this, is where, this was his uh, dying words. He, and I, I, I hope my dying words are something like this. But this is what he says, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. My prayers are all converted into praise. I mean, an amazing statement. You know, as you look at the uh, Puritan pastor, Richard ba- Baxter, his dying word is this. And he died a really, really horrible death. But this is, what, this is what he wrote. I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. I mean, incredible, isn't it? You know, and then we have John Knox, uh, whose words were, live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. And, of course, you know, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, said, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. And those are memorable words. And the reason why I bring up these memorable words is where we are in the gospel. We realize that these Greeks came to the Lord Jesus, and as they came and wanted an audience with him, he is reminded of the great salvation that will be for all of the world, for, for all those who ever put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers up a prayer, and it's not a prayer that God would deliver him from this hour, but he came for this hour to glorify the name of his Father above. And all of a sudden, a voice comes from heaven. You can imagine, again, the whole scene. And it thundered down. You have glorified it. In other words, Jesus Christ has already glorified the Father, but he says this, and you will glorify it. In other words, through his death, through his sacrifice, the Father will be glorified. And it's amazing to look at that because that brings a greater clarification. He talks about how he needs to be lifted up, speaking of his death. And when he is lifted up, it will bring two judgments, one judgment upon the world. And we realize, again, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his resurrection, all of the words and works of the Lord Jesus will be vindicated. Again, he will be shown to be the Christ that is lost and dying world. And we realize there's a great judgment, isn't there? You know, our sins are judged if we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's also coming a great judgment where people will be judged in themselves for the things that they've done against this great God. And Jesus Christ will be that great judge. But the second judgment is against Satan himself, our great uh, enemy, again, of of our souls. And it's amazing to look at the cross because when you look at the cross from one perspective, it really looks like a satanic victory. But in the end, it's the greatest victory. Because what it brings is this horde of individuals that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who will ultimately um, occupy his kingdom to come. Now, why do I say all of this? Why do I bring this introduction? 
And it's because, again, of the crowd's response to everything that Jesus has just preached, everything that they have just witnessed. Remember, they heard the voice from heaven. They heard the teaching of Jesus. Many of them were eyewitnesses, even of some of the miracles that Jesus has done, such as his last miracle and the raising, again, of Lazarus from the dead. But look at how they respond in verse number 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of God? And notice right there, keep that verse up there for a second. There's two questions that, that, are, that are asked, right? How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? And then this question, who is the Son of Man? And the reason why they asked those two questions is Jesus just talked about his death, that he must be lifted up. And they understood that, that statement to speak that Jesus was going to die, but also that Jesus' understanding of the Messiah is that he is the Messiah. So they asked this question, how can he be lifted up? Because we know, we know from the Old Testament law, we know from the scriptures that Messiah exists. His kingdom is forever. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, they had many scriptures to turn to to really teach this truth. Such as in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it says, I saw in a night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, other was God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, to the Messiah, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and language should serve him. Now listen to what it says next. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And listen what he says, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. There it is, Jesus. You're talking about the Messiah. You're talking and saying that you are the Messiah. But we know from the Old Testament law that Messiah doesn't die. He reigns and rules forever. Now, of course, these individuals didn't consider the passage of Scripture that was read again a little earlier in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, which speaks of the suffering servant of the Lord. But there's more that happens to be again going on here. And I, and I, think, and I think we know that, that what these individuals did not want is they did not want a suffering Messiah. They did not want deliverance from their sins, but they wanted a military Messiah who would deliver all, deliver them from all the restraints that happened to begin of their life. You know, it's amazing, again, to look at. Because when you look at, again, all of this, we realize what this is. When they ask the question is, who is the Son of Man? When they ask that question, it's really a rejection of Jesus Christ. We are rejecting you. If you're going to say that you're going to die and you need to die, then you're not, you're not our Messiah. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter what came from heaven. doesn't matter, again, what sermon you preached, again, or what miracles came through your hand. We are rejecting you. You know, and the reason why I say all of that is because of what's found at the end of verse number 36. Because look at what is at the end of verse number 36. It says, when Jesus said these things, this is what it says, he departed and hid himself from them. So the passage that we're looking at this afternoon, these are the last words that the Lord Jesus speaks in public. This is the last words he speaks to this crowd. And remember who the crowd were. These were the ones who were celebrating. You know, we call this Palm, Palm Sunday, you know, because it's the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And many times when we think about it, that's the crowd here. 
These are the same individuals that celebrated the coming of Jesus Christ in, to, to uh, Jerusalem at this time that are now denying him. And what you have here are the last words of Jesus Christ before he departs from them and he hides himself from the crowd. And next time again, they will see him as when he is being butchered and tortured and spit upon. And last words carry a lot of weight, don't they? And these last words of Jesus Christ are absolutely amazing because they're so heavily uh, drenching in mercy and grace. You know, and if you've never seen the greatness again of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in him, I beg you to hear these last words of the Lord Jesus that he spoke in public. And even beyond that, again, if we happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus, when we hear these words, we're just stunned once again with the grace, with the glory, with the grandness, with the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that has brought to sinners that we want to reflect that light. We want to speak that truth to those who happen to be around. So I want to see both halves. I want us to see the mercy and grace that Jesus offers, but also the warning that, that he speaks to the crowd. But let's look at that offer of grace first. And let's just read through the verses that we're going to be looking at um, this afternoon. It's verses 35 and 36. And it says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become, here it is, the sons of God. It's an amazing passage, isn't it? You know, and when you really look at these words and you, and you look again at the two questions that they ask, it seems like Jesus is not answering the question. You know, uh, uh, how is it he say that, uh, that Messiah dies, that he needs to be lifted up? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Son of God? And it seems like he's skirting the question. He's not answering the question. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's answering the question. He's telling them beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the Messiah. And they have to stop walking in their own wisdom. They have to stop, 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 uh, stop walking in their own, if I can use this metaphor, light. Because what we have here when we look at this passage of Scripture is a strong metaphor that John uses over and over. In fact, Jesus uses it over and over throughout the Gospel of John. And that's light and darkness. You know, and the light is Jesus Christ. The darkness is that rejection, even hatred of Jesus Christ that happens to be right here. And any time you see this metaphor... It begs the question that we have to ask of ourselves. And it's basically this. Am I in the light? Am I following Jesus Christ? Am I believing in him? Or am I in that darkness? You know, and it forces us to ask that question. But the thing I love about that question is how Jesus answers that. Because again, maybe you happen to be again here this afternoon, maybe you're watching online or whatever it happens to be, and maybe you rejected Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. And here's what kind of Lord, here's what kind of Savior Jesus Christ is, because this afternoon, what he is holding out to you is his marvelous grace. It is his marvelous grace. He is inviting you to come and believe on him and trust him and become, here it is, the son of light, the daughter of this great light. It's an amazing truth that happens to be again right there. So look at what he says in verse number 35 again. So Jesus said, and the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. And let me just stop right there. And let me ask the question when he says the light is among you, 
uh, for a little while longer. What's he mean by that? You know, what, what's he mean by that statement? And I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist. I don't think you have to be the deepest theological thinker to really understand what he means when he says, the light's only among you a little while longer. Well, what's he speaking of? He's speaking of his death. And even beyond his death, his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. You know, and the light is not going to be there. And let me just say this. When he talks about the light, he's talking about himself, isn't he? He's the greatest light that planet Earth has ever seen, that humanity has ever seen, right? He even calls himself the light back uh, on the Feast of, of uh, Tabernacles, back in John chapter 8, and verse number 12, where Jesus, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, what did he say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's telling them that eternal life is found in him. He is the light of the world. Well, let me say this. You cannot understand, I, I guess we cannot understand anyways, how powerful metaphor this is. You, you know, figure it is. Because we have lights everywhere, right? We're in this, uh, this big hall or this big room again today. You know, and there's lights that happen to be again right here. You don't have to squint. You don't have to wonder. You know, a lot of times I will come in here and I'll forget something in the pulpit and I'll be over in my office and I'll come up here and, you know, I'm very cautious about the stairs going like this, you know, and then I feel around and, and I, I don't know why I always do. I always have my hands like this, like it's going to protect if something happens, like it hits my feet. But, but it's amazing. We stumble around in darkness, right? And we know, again, the importance of light, and he's using light that happens to be right here as a revelation, isn't it? An important revelation of who God is. And here's the amazing thing about our God. Our God, he's put revelation everywhere. You know, we call that general revelation. Otherwise, when we look at the rocks and the hills, when we look at the stars, when we look at the plants, when we look at the animals, when we even look at one another, we see something of the glory, the grandness, the power, the wisdom, the majesty of this great God that happens to be again above. But we realize there's impediments to that knowledge. One is that we are sinners. We can look at those things and not see the glorious grand God, even though it's so evident that there is this majestic creator God. But there's another impediment, and that is there is enough, there is enough revelation that happens to be there that can condemn us because we don't seek that God. But there's not enough revelation there that we can come to know this God. You know, it doesn't tell us the path to him. It doesn't tell us where forgiveness is found. For that, we need a light, and the greatest light that has ever been given of who God happens to be is Jesus Christ. In fact, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. He says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what this passage tells us is God has spoken. And he spoke through the prophets. And you look at the prophets, and amazing how God spoke to them, again, in many ways, sometimes through visions, sometimes through dreams, sometimes, again, through, through direct address. But here's the thing you find out about the prophets. None of them were given the full revelation of God, of who God is. It came a little bit here, a little here, a little here, a little here, right? None of them were given. But it's different when the Son comes. He says he has spoken to us in these last days. And then he says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God. 
and the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance. Again, it's almost like if you picture the sun, the rays of the sun, that's what it means by radiance. And so here's the glory of this God. How do we know the glory of an invisible God? Here it is, by looking at Jesus Christ, by seeing his portrait through the word of God, by seeing who he did, what he said, how he functioned. We see that radiance of the glory of God. And it says the exact imprint, right? Here's this invisible God. How do I see the invisible God? Well, there's an imprint. And that imprint is most fully seen in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the greatest revelation that has ever been given of the invisible God. And Jesus says, this light's just with you for a little while. It's right here. Walk in it. In other words, trust it. Don't walk in your own wisdom. Don't walk in your own ways. Don't deny me. Don't harden your hearts. Again, towards the truth of who the light is. And who God is in Jesus Christ and walk in that. And you can see that in verse number 36. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light. And this is why, right? While you have the light, here it is. Here's the challenge. Believe in the light that you may become something that you're not. And that become sons of light. It's an incredible promise, isn't it? It's a promise that if we trust in Jesus Christ, we will become something that we're not. Right? We're natural children. We're children of darkness, but we can become children of light by trusting Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the new birth. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. In verse number 3, it says, tells us about our old life, our natural self, and it contrasts that with the new self. It says, among whom we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, of the mind, and we're by nature, we're by nature, what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses alive, this is what he did, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I mean, it's an amazing statement, isn't it? You know, and it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we've rejected Jesus, if we've scorned and ridiculed the great grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we will believe on him today, here's the promise, we will become more what we've never been, and that is children of light. But here's the amazing thing that happens to be again about that promise, is that promise, again, only endures again for a short time. It's not here forever. And this is where the warning of the passage comes in. You know, and you can see this, you can see this in these two verses. You know, let's just read these two verses again. It says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. And then he says, it's less darkness overtaken you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going, right? Right, and, uh, and anyways, I'll stop right there. But, 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 but it's amazing to look at this because I know a lot of pastors are called scare uh, preachers. Do you know what a scare preacher is? You know, a scare preacher is somebody, again, who always preaches on hellfire and brimstone, right? right? Hellfire and brimstone, it's, it's a reality. You, know, you, know, you need to repent. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. You know, um, I can remember reading a sermon, again, by uh, Jonathan Edwards, and he talked about a spider uh, hanging on a thread, you know, over the fires, again, of, uh, of uh, an open fire right there. And he said, that's like the sinner, you know, we're just so delicate. Life is so delicate. And the moment again that breaks, we fall into that hellfire, and there's no hope for us. 
And he preached and preached and preached. And he said he preached so, so much, again, on hell, that people that happened to be in a congregation felt, felt the fires of hell that happened to be, again, underneath them, that they would get up. You know, and we many times call them scare preachers today. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, a scare preacher is absolutely necessary. And the reason why is because you can't know the good news without the bad news. You cannot know the good news unless you understand the ravages of sin and what it deserves for all of eternity. You know, and let me just say this as clear as possible. Jesus was a scare preacher. He preached more on hell than he did on on heaven and all the glories that happened to begin in heaven. He warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them again of what would come if they rejected the grace that was found in the greatest light that has ever been given to this world which happened to him. Let me just give you a sampling. Tree here is talking about humanity. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 19. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit, what happens to it? It's cut down. And where's it thrown? It's thrown into fire. And he's talking about eternal judgment there. You know, we see this in Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse number 43. And think of this. Think of the cost and weightiness of sin, the severity of sin. We take sin so lightly. But listen to what Jesus says. And if your hand causes you to sin, what, what ought you to do? He says this, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands to go to hell. And then he describes hell this way as an unquenchable fire. Do you you know what an unquenchable fire is? I'm going to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher right now. Unquenchable hell is basically this. It's never quenched. Right? When you look at at a fire, once in a while we'll have a fire out back, and when you look at that fire, it needs something new. It needs something new. And why? Because it's quenched after a while. But the unquenchable fire means that it burns forever. That's what it's talking about. Just like eternal life is forever, eternal fire, eternal judgment is forever. That's what Jesus says. And if your foot causes you to to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter a life lame than to have two feet to be thrown into fire. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on the left, look at what he says. This is his judgment. The one who is judging is Jesus. Depart from me, you curse it, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil. And his angels. Matthew 10, 28 uses the word fear. And it should invoke, it should create in us a terror. And it says this, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. And in fact, Ed Welsh uh, says that John Calvin said, this is the text right here. In Matthew 10, 8, that makes the hairs on the back of his head stand on end. It's so fearful. And let me say as clear as possible, Jesus was a scare preacher. You know, he preached, again, these truths that happen to begin right here. And you can imagine, because the crowd that happens to be before him is, are hardening their hearts towards Jesus Christ after everything they've heard, after everything that they have seen. You know, and it's incredible because he's warning them. You know, this grace will not come forever. It will not be offered forever. I can remember talking to a gentleman once and witnessing to him the saving efficacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I called him again to repent this right then. You know, and I asked him again if he would trust Christ. And I can remember his response because his response was this. It's just not for me. You know, maybe sometime in the future it will be for me. But right now, again, in my time in my life, the things that I want to do 
the things that I want to experience, it's just not for me. Maybe when I get married, maybe when I settle down, I will rethink whether I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's just not for me. And he was mistaken, again, on two, two, two fronts. One is that if you absolutely come to Christ, he's going to destroy your life. I don't know how many people, again, really believe that. You know, if you come to Christ, he's going to take all the good, all the pleasurable things that happen to begin in your life. And here's what Christ came to give. He came to give life more abundant and free. And I don't know of any true believer that I know that says and crosses their arms and say, I wish I had my old life. I wish I could go back there. I wish I could indulge in those things that happen to begin right there. But what? No, we celebrate our new abundant life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was wrong on that account. But the other thing that he was wrong about is he thought he could control. He thought he could control the timing of God's grace coming into his life and into his heart. Maybe sometime in the future. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and this passage, even as the next time we look at it, this passage tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is a God who is sovereign over his grace, and he has the right to extend that grace, and he has the right, even in this life, to not extend that grace, to withhold that grace from those that happen to be around us. And you can see that in verse number 35, because he says, the light is, is among you for a little while. Right? Uh, longer, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Now notice again, he says a little while, and as we said again, uh, when you look at Jesus, he's under no obligation to keep giving his grace, to keep giving his grace. You know, and the thing that's amazing there is he says, be careful that the darkness does not overshadow you or overtake you. And let me say, so often we can start off and we can start off saying, oh, Jesus is good, Jesus is good, Jesus is good, and really not trust him. And little by little, that darkness overtakes our life. It overtakes our lives. It overtakes our lives and overtakes our lives. And then all of a sudden, we're in darkness and we don't even know it. You know, and that's what he means right there. The one who's walking in darkness does not even know it. And here's the amazing thing, and I want you to get this. When somebody is in physical darkness... They know that they are in physical darkness, right? They're careful about how they move. They're careful of the dangers that happen to be there. Somebody who is in spiritual darkness does not know. They've been overcome by it. They might even think that they are walking in the light and these other individuals are the ones that are walking in darkness. They're following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because Jesus says they don't even know that they're in darkness. And he says, be careful, be so careful, because here's the thing, you might think that you're not on that broad road, but you're on that broad road if you have rejected the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and, and look at verse number 36, because he brings this up again. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. And then right after that, he says, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And notice when he says, while you have the light. And it would be easy to say this. Well, what he's talking about, while you have the light, is he's talking about it again, his impending death, and then after that, his resurrection and ascension that happens to be in heaven. But it ignores the context. Because right after he says that statement, and remember, it's the last public statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Now, I want you to see, he not only departed but he hid himself from 
them. And why? Because this was a judicial statement in their hardness of their hearts because they would not repent, they would not trust Jesus Christ that in his judicial robes, if we can call it like that, he withheld his grace from them. They wouldn't see him again until he was beaten. You know, and, being, and just about being led off to execution. And what they do is cry out that he might be crucified. And at that time, they asked for a murderer to be set free rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the next time the crowd see him. It's absolutely amazing. In fact, uh, what comes to pass here is what we uh, read in John chapter 8 and verse number 21 where Jesus said this. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. It's amazing, right? You will seek me, and guess what will happen? You will not find me. And why? Because you are refusing the grace that is given to you today. D.A. Carson explains it this way. By his withdrawal, otherwise his hiding from, him, from them, his self-conscious hiding from the, his, the people, he is acting out the judicial warning he has pronounced. And what fearful and weighty stuff. You know, and this is why you can see the writer of Hebrews, you know, as he quotes scripture, he says, as it is said, and then there's that key word, and here's the key word, today, right? Not tomorrow, not next week, maybe sometime in the future, as, as that gentleman said to me, you know, maybe sometime again when, I, when life settles down and I have my appetite of the things that happen to be in this world. It's today. If you hear his voice, don't spurn his grace. Do not harden your heart says, in the rebellion. You know, today is a day of sacrifice. Today is the day of grace. And that's the amazing thing about life. You know, the older you get, the more that you realize it. God, God hasn't promised us tomorrow, right? Whether we happen to be old, whether we happen to be young, God hasn't promised us tomorrow. And here are the last public words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And imagine if this was the last sermon you had ever heard. Imagine this, and coming before a holy God and having all your sins again portrayed on there before you and seeing you the weightiness of your guilt before a holy God and realizing uh, the nature, the justice of God for condemning you for all of eternity and realizing at that time I heard the last words of Jesus. I heard that last public declaration of his mercy and grace that happened to begin in my life, and I refused that. You know, today is the day of repentance. And for us as the people of God, the promise in the text is if we believe on him, we become the children of light. And think of what the children of the light are like. They are like the sun. The sun is the light. And what does the sun do? He offers mercy and grace by believing in him. If we are children of light, how do we respond to that? And we respond to that by calling and recognizing the greatest need of those that happen to begin around us is Jesus Christ and calling them to believe on Jesus. You know, it's just like Romans chapter 10, for, uh, beginning of verse number 13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we praise God for that truth. But then he says this, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear 
without somebody preaching. And I wonder, you know, as children of light, as children of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we recognize that God has sent us into this dark world to speak of the light? Whether we're saved here or not this morning, let me say time is short. Let's make the best use of our life by believing and making much and reflecting that light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this text. It's amazing. When we look at the grace, when we look at the mercy still found in Jesus Christ, when we hear of this rejection, Lord, we realize that these people are worthy of judgment. But it's amazing to look at Christ. It's amazing, Lord, even in the midst of such rebellion that he offers up his amazing grace. Lord, his mercy to these individuals. And Lord, when we look at that, we recognize ourselves. We recognize how for years, Lord, we've scorned, we've mocked, we've ridiculed that light of the Lord Jesus Christ, but how he's been merciful to us. But God, at this time, we pray, if there's any that happen to be here in this auditorium this afternoon, Lord, that are outside of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would work in their hearts, in their lives. God, that they won't spurn this moment. They won't trample your worth underfoot. Oh, God, please work in their hearts. Lord, we beg you that they would come to Christ this very hour, this very day. If there's any that happen to begin watching online, Lord, we ask the same thing. And God, for us as believers, that we would make the most of our time by making Jesus Christ. Lord, we many times take our lives up in trivial pursuits. Help us to make much of Christ. And we will give you all the glory. We thank you again in Christ's name.